Amen. All right. So uh, apparently, true story, there was a homework assignment given to third graders uh, in California. Okay. And they were, this was their homework assignment. And there, it was to this, to explain God. How many guys take a math test over that? That's a, that's kind of a big one. Okay, but, but this is their homework assignment to explain God. And I'm going to read to you one of the actual essays from an a eight-year-old boy. His name was Danny Dutton. Mario, you tell me how well he did, okay? Here, he's explaining God. He says, one of God's main jobs is making people. And he makes them to replace the ones that die, so there will be enough people to take care of things on the earth. Okay? And he says, he doesn't make grown-ups, just babies. I, I think because they're smaller and easier to make. Uh, uh, that way he doesn't have to take up his valuable time teaching them to walk and talk. He just leave that to the moms and dads. And he said, God's second most important job is listening to prayers. Now listen to this. He says, and an awful lot of this goes on since some people like preachers and things <laughs> pray besides bedtime. He's <laughs> a preach. See, we're a thing, Phil. Right? And he says, so because of this, God doesn't have time to listen to the radio or TV and because he hears everything, there must be a terrible lot of noise through his ears, and unless he's found a way to turn it off. And, uh, but God sees everything, he says, and hears everything, and he's everywhere, and he keeps him pretty busy. So you shouldn't go wasting his time by going over your mom and dad's head asking for something they said you couldn't have. <laughs> pretty smart kid. And he says, atheists are people who don't believe in God. I, I don't think there are any in, in, in our uh, town. Uh, at least I don't think they come to our church. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Uh, he said, Jesus is God's son, and, and he used to do all the hard work, like walking on water and performing miracles and, and trying to teach the people who didn't uh, you know, know about God to learn about God. And, and they finally got tired of him preaching at him, and, and they crucified him. But he was good and kind, like his father, and he told his father that they didn't know what they were doing and to forgive him. And God said, okay. <laughs> and his dad, God, appreciated everything that he had done and all his hard work on earth, so he told him he didn't have to go out on the road anymore. He could just stay in heaven. So he did. And, and you can pray any time you want, uh, and they're sure to help you because they got it worked out that one of them's on duty at all times. <laughs> and listen to this eight-year-old boy. He said, and you should always go to church services on Sunday because it makes God happy, and if there's anybody you want to make happy, it's God. And then he gives this warning. Listen to this. Brilliant kid. He says, and don't skip church services and do something you think will be more fun like going to the beach. He said, this is wrong. And besides, the sun doesn't come out on the beach till noon anyway. <laughs> and he said, if you don't believe in God, besides being an atheist, uh, you're going to be very lonely because your parents can't go everywhere with you like to camp, but God can. And it's good to know he's around when you're scared of the dark or when you can't swim and you get thrown into real deep water by big kids. But he closes and says, but you shouldn't always just think of what God can do for you. I figure that God put me here. He can take me back anytime he pleases. <laughs> and that's why I believe in God. Wow. Not too bad for an eight-year-old, amen? Right? He did a pretty good job explaining God in certain aspects, okay? Uh, it's not, not perfect theology, okay? But he, had, he seemed to have a pretty good idea who God was, right? An eight-year-old boy from California. Now, the problem is this. Unfortunately, boys like Danny, they're no longer in the majority in our society today, okay? And the reason why is we've been seeing with our new studies because the one book who tells us who God is, you don't have to wonder, is sitting on bookshelves collecting dust in virtually every home of America. Yeah, the X-Files started up again. The truth is out there, all right. It's right under our noses about God. It's called the Bible. Right here, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to go and find some secret and mysterious. No, it's right there, unfortunately, collecting dust. And it's because of this, folks, that hardly anybody will even read it, even though we saw most of America has at least one, some, most of it has at least three on average. 
But just nobody seems to want to read it, and that even includes Christians. And it's because of this self-imposed ignorance of God that comes from not studying the Word of God, the Bible, that the lives, listen, not just Christians, the lives of, of not, not just non-Christians, but Christians, listen, of this, they are now filled with just as many questions, just as much pain as the rest of the world. And we are now today, this was our premise last week, we are living in a time when churches are full of Christians who are acting like practical atheists. Oh, we say we believe in God. Of course, you got to say that. You're a Christian. That's the right answer on the test. But half the time, the proof is in the pudding with our lives and our lips. We're acting like God's nowhere around, as if he doesn't even exist. Okay? And as we saw, this is not just detrimental in our walk with God. It keeps other people from believing in God because, Christian, whether you realize or not, the world's watching us. They want to know that this is real because they don't have what we have what we say we have, a relationship with God. So to avoid this irony of Christians, you and I living like practical atheists, by not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study on the character of God, the character of God. If you were here last week, we saw the first thing we need to know, the core issue, hello, and hopefully it wasn't a surprise, okay? You need to understand that, hello, God is what? He's real. This is not some pipe dream. This is not opiate for the masses. This is not just a crutch. I'm just trying to make it through life and I don't really believe. No, he's real. And, and we saw the scripture says you need to receive that by faith in the book of Hebrews, but we still even doubt there. So God, just like a doubting Thomas, he's merciful to us and he gives us so much evidence that he is real. And that's what we saw there with the argument of being, the argument of beginnings, the argument of morals, the argument of design showed us that God really does exist. He is real. Okay, just like a watch doesn't explode on the scene by happenstance. It's designed by a watchmaker. All of life, we saw it all the way from the telescope down to the microscope. Even the tail on a piece of a bacteria was designed, and it implies a designer, i.e. God. He gives us so much evidence that he is real. That's the core issue. Now let's move on to that, and we're going to take a look at the second character of God. If we're going to get away from this practical atheism, is this, folks, that God is personal, i.e. he is intimate. God is personal. And we say this all the time. That's why I had you say that phrase. Oh, Christianity, it's a relationship. I have a personal relationship, a personal intimate relationship. But do you treat it that way? Oh, when we first got saved, yeah, how about now? How you doing now? And since when did it ever get not exciting having a personal, intimate, loving, beautiful relationship with the creator of the universe? Something's wrong. And it's going to affect how you behave, and the world is watching this, okay? But in order to appreciate this aspect that God is intimate, he is personal, we need to take a look at two other aspects uh, of God and his character. And the first one is simply this. God is independent, okay? Turn to somebody and say, hey, this is good. God doesn't need you. <laughs> Isn't that encouraging? But he still loves you, right? This is awesome. We take this for granted. God is independent. He doesn't need anything right? How many times have you heard, unfortunately, false teachers in the church, they, they make it sound like, oh, God, just, he, he just had to. We're so worthy. We're so awesome. We're so full of our self-esteem and just self-worth, and God had to die. No, he didn't. God doesn't need anything, right? And the scripture is very clear. He didn't die for people who were awesome. Read Romans chapter 5. It's very clear. He died for sinners. He died for the ungodly. He died for his enemies. Amen. That's what magnifies his love. But this is the first aspect. He is independent. He doesn't need us. He didn't have to give us this personal relationship, but he did. But let's take a look at the Bible. Acts 17 clearly talks about this. Paul is talking to the Greeks there, and he brings out this point. Listen, this is what should blow your mind. God doesn't need us. He didn't have to do this, but he did anyway, okay? It's mind-blowing. Acts chapter 17, if you want to turn there. Acts chapter 17. 
As we all know, Carly, that's the book for lumberjacks, Christian lumberjacks, right? Now they use chainsaws nowadays. But Acts chapter 17, solid enough time. Let's start there on verse 22 and uh, see what Paul tells to the non-Christian, this character, this aspect of God, okay? Verse 22, let's take a look there. So Paul then stood up in the meeting at the Areopagus and he said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very what? Religious. Man likes religion. Man loves religion. Paul was dealing with people who were religious. But religion doesn't save you. Only a relationship through Jesus Christ. That's it. Okay, so that's where he's meeting them where they're at, though. I, I, I can see you're very religious there, okay? Uh, for as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found even an altar with this inscription, to a what? An unknown God. Brilliant. And he used that to spin off to bring the point home. He says, now that which you worship as unknown, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that unknown God. I'm going to proclaim to you, he says there, okay, the God who made the what? The world and everything in it, that's what we saw last week, is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he what? As if he needed anything, which means he doesn't need anything. God is independent as if he needed it because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. We come from him. We need him, not the other way around. As we saw last week, that's, again, one of the arguments of the existence of God. He is self-existent, right? If he needed something, then he wouldn't be supreme, right? Because he's dependent upon something. But God is supreme. He is independent, okay? He doesn't need anything, okay? No, there's nothing he lacks, nothing he needs, and this is the humbling truth. That includes us. That includes us. God doesn't need us. He is perfectly fine without us, okay? And, and again, you may not hear that truth, but we just read it. That's what the scripture says, okay? It's nonetheless true. He does not have to have a personal relationship with you and I. He did not need to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. Yet here's the kicker. He did it anyway. And it's understanding this attribute of God that he's independent. I think we take it for granted. Oh, I got a personal relationship. He didn't have to do this, you know. I mean, you don't realize that it cheapens the love of God. He is independent. He is absolutely independent. He doesn't need a single thing, yet he still chooses to have, listen, not just a relationship on top of him being independent. He chooses to have a relationship with who? His best friends, people who loved him and did everything he said all the time. What? I just quoted Romans 5. What? His enemies, ungodly sinners, right? That's who we were apart from Christ. Doomed straight to hell and we deserve it. So it's not just you don't need us. Then you choose, even though you don't need us, to have an intimate relationship with us. And who's us? People who didn't even want to have nothing to do with you. Can you believe that? Now, doesn't that magnify his love? Don't, doesn't that make you appreciate what we say all the time so flippantly? I have a relationship with God. This, this is amazing. He does not need anything, yet he chose people like you and I to have a personal relationship. It's mind-blowing, okay? Therefore, when we understand that God didn't have to, he certainly doesn't need to, but he still chooses to provide a way for every single person to have an intimate personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ, it just blows your mind. God is intimate. Now, that's the first one. The second attribute, I think, if we're going to really appreciate this character of God, he is intimate, he is personal, He's not just independent. God is immense. Last time I checked, he's kind of big. He's really big. He's massive. In fact, it's the biblical theological term, the omnipresence of God. Doesn't that sound awesome? 
That sounds really mean. And basically what it means is God is everywhere. You can't go anywhere. He's always there. God is above and beyond his creation. I like what one theologian said. He says, if there was even one maverick molecule in the universe, God couldn't be God. He knows everything. He's above and beyond everything. He's everywhere. And this is actually what the psalmist declares, okay, in this passage of scripture, okay? How many times do you think, oh, God can't see this or they can't see it. Nobody will find this out. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Watch this, Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit, God? Where can I go? Where can I flee from your presence? I'm going to hide out. Nobody will see that. What are you kidding me? If I go up to the heavens, the Uranus, right? Three different heavens the scripture talks about. We're going to get that in just a second. Uh, the first one defined by the context is the atmosphere or the sky. The second one is the stars. The third one is the, Paul was caught up to the third heaven, the actual dwelling place of God the Father. So if I go up to the heavens, most likely to the atmosphere, possibly stars, where's, what, you're what? God's already there. Uh, if, I, if I go to the other end of the spectrum, if I, if I make my bed in the depths, what? God, you're there too. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand, God, will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And that's just one passage dealing with the omnipresence of God. Okay, as we see here, and the Bible declares that God's not just independent. He is absolutely immense. I mean, massive, above and beyond. There is no place in all of existence that a person could hide from him. Why? Because here's your big truth for today. Wherever you go, there he is. Right? Think about it. Wherever you go, God is there. Okay? Absolutely awesome. Okay? And since we have a hard time grasping just how immense God is, I'm here to help you out. Or should I say, rocket boy John Gibson. He's going to help us out. That's right. Uh, John apparently had a lifelong dream, and uh, he had a dream to try to make it to God, to try to have a personal relationship with God via science, via rocket, right? God's big. He's above and beyond his creation, right? And so John apparently determined, since he was wee high, I'm going to take a rocket ride, and I'm going to make a relationship with God. I'm going to reach the third heaven, okay, and I am going to have this intimacy with God. How many of you guys are going to think he's going to succeed? No, he's not, but my exciting graphics... Uh, will help the journey anyway. So we're going to journey to the third heaven, okay? Let, let's say it was on our shoulders. Let's say we had to somehow reach God to the third heaven beyond creation, beyond the stars, in order to reach him to have a relationship. Would we ever make it? I don't think so, but John gives it a good try. Now, my graphics are really rotten, so we have to beef it up with some theme music. <clears throat> huh? Does that sound scientific for you? You like that, Bobby? All right. That's right. This the theme to Star Trek. And apparently this all began when John was a little boy. As you can see here, uh, pictured with his uh, uh, space dog, Wrinkles. And uh, uh, ever since he was a little boy, he wanted to travel through space there. And uh, yeah, where'd he go? He's probably out there flattening my car tires. But anyway, let's move on. And so when John, that's right, Ruth, I'll get you the picture later. I made it up for it. He grew up, he ate lots of cow in order to uh, have muscles big enough to build himself one of those fancy living space rockets, right? He's going to have all this intimate relationship with God if it's the last thing he does. So, so here we actually see John, his first view of the window. He launches out there uh, from his house there off of Jimmy Durante Boulevard. Uh, and uh, leaving Las Vegas behind, he blasts off there. And, and so the next thing you know, we see Johnny kicks in his genuine space thrusters look at those graphics now you know why i had the music uh and he leaves behind nevada Woo! so john's cruising up there i gotta make it to the third heaven and before you know it john leaves earth's atmosphere and faster than you can say bye pastor billy lunch 
I thought it worked. Never mind. Uh, he flies right past the moon as he continues his journey uh, to the third heaven. Now he fires all four, that's right, not three, four of his genuine space rocket thrusters, and he's catapulted out of our solar system, going where no Las Vegas, and if that's even a word, has gone before. That's a word today. Uh, let's move on. Now, he reaches, that's right, the center of our galaxy called the Milky Way. And these are actual uh, photographs from the Hubble Space Telescope. Okay, this is really what it looks like. And he sees not clouds. These are not cloud folks. That's about 100 billion stars the size of our sun or bigger. Okay, massive uh, cluster of them there. And John presses deep into space. He encounters not stars. He starts encountering other galaxies. That's not a splattered chicken egg, for those of you wondering. Uh, it is called the Cartwheel Galaxy. That's an actual photograph of it. A whole other galaxy. Uh, and, but he keeps pressing in, right? And so John soars deep into space, and he runs into this uh, photograph here from Hubble. And this is not a cluster of scars. Each one of those clusters, one of those dots, colored dots, each one's a galaxy. Each one is a galaxy. Uh, and a cluster of them there. In fact, astronomers estimate that in the cup of the Big Dipper that there are over one million galaxies. Just in the cup of the Big Dipper, okay? Uh, it just, not stars, galaxies. Each the size of the Milky Way or bigger. But beyond this, John discovers that the galaxies begin to thin out. Uh, some scientists actually, astronomers, they think that what lies beyond that is maybe just empty space, okay? Uh, while others theorize it might be an actual edge to the universe. I wonder what's beyond that point. Okay, but where scientists are at a loss to explain, uh, John being a Christian realizes it's what the Bible calls the third heaven or the actual dwelling place of God the Father. So give it up for John and his exciting journey to the third heaven there as he tried to make this intimate relationship with God possible, uh, but unfortunately he failed. And, uh, but anyway, but the reason why I went all through all that, believe it or not, I'm trying to expand your mind, right? What's the point? The immensity of God and how huge he is. Okay, and, and, and this is what we ignore. God is at all time and all places, but he's above and beyond it all. His creation, okay? But if this picture didn't stretch your mind, listen to this. To show you how immense God is. True science here. If John were able to travel at the speed of light, somehow, okay, it would take him eight and a half minutes just to reach the sun, which is 93 million miles away. That's at the speed of light. But if John wanted to reach our nearest star, it would take him four and a half years traveling, at the speed of light, okay? Just the nearest star, but that's still nothing. If John wanted to make it across our galaxy, just the Milky Way, and we saw there's tons of them out there, but just to make it across our own galaxy, it would take him 100,000 light years just to travel, travel across our own one galaxy. But even if John could get his genuine rocket boy space rocket to travel at the speed of light, uh, he'd still never make it. Because scientists point this other interesting aspect out, and that's because apparently as you approach the speed of light, uh, it starts to have physical effects on you. Uh, mass increases outwardly into infinity. It literally begins to stretch you out. Physically, you begin to get bigger and bigger and bigger, which I'm not making this up. One guy said this. He said, that's why you should never, ever let anybody say that you are overweight. You just tell them you're traveling too fast. <laughs> Got things to do. But the point is this, even, here's the whole point of bringing this out, God is huge, he's immense, right? It wouldn't be awesome to have this relationship with him. All right, let's see if we can make it to the third heaven, the dwelling place of God the Father. You'd never, ever, 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 ever make it. It's hopeless. But here's the good news. The Bible says if you want to reach God, if you want to have an intimate relationship with him, you don't go off shooting on a rocket towards him. You simply repent of your sins through Jesus Christ, and he comes shooting down to you. Okay, and this is what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians. And, and at least me, I, I read the emotion into it. He's, he's like blown away. That's like, don't you get this? It doesn't, is this, this is mind-blowing. Don't you get it? 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you realize 
Don't you realize, Christian, that you yourselves are what? The temple of God. And that God's spirit lives where? God, who we just saw, is, whoa, massive. He doesn't need us. We can never make it, even if we wanted to. Boom, he comes shooting down to you and I and dwells us by his spirit. Oh, by the way, I don't think you can get any more intimate than that. And again, who? His enemies, ungodly sinners. Absolutely mind-blowing. You can't get any more personal than that. And just to make sure that we have the full impact of this true, I want to to expand it one more time, a little bit more scientific. I tried my best with the graphics. Uh, But this time, we're going to take a look at another scientific video clip of showing just how huge our universe is, how huge it is. Now, before, we've always stopped at the edge of the universe. Today, I want to take you all the way back to Earth after going that far, hopefully to drill this point home. It is so, I hope that from this day forward, Christian, that we will never take the word so flippantly that we have a relationship with God so flippantly. But let's take a look at this truth. galaxy, the Milky Way. It spans 80,000 light years across and contains more than 100 billion stars. The Milky Way is a spiral galaxy. The brighter stars are concentrated into arms that wrap around the disk. Since our solar system is within this disk, we see the Milky Way as a cloudy band in our night sky. No human being or spacecraft has seen our galaxy from the outside, as shown here. It is difficult to grasp just how large our galaxy is. Our solar system is located here. In fact, with the exception of M4, all the stars and planets we've visited are within this little ring. The Milky Way is a remarkable demonstration of God's power. But what's even more amazing is that our galaxy is merely one of billions. Every one of these faint clouds is an entire galaxy. As we pan upward, we see a strange band where galaxies seem to be missing. This is called the zone of avoidance, 
and is aligned with the disk of our galaxy. Although many galaxies are undoubtedly in this region, gas and dust in our own galaxy prevent us from seeing them. Further up, we see a massive grouping of galaxies called the Virgo Cluster. It contains over 2,000 galaxies and is 50 million light years away from Earth. Our entire galaxy appears as a grain of sand, lost in a vast ocean of galaxies. Yet the galaxies shown here are only a small portion of the cosmos. Beyond this distance, astronomers have cataloged only certain regions of the visible universe. At last, we begin to see the large-scale structure of the universe. The galaxies are organized into a complete tapestry of strings and voids. For clarity, only a few selected regions are shown here. This is the universe, or at least as much of it as our present understanding makes possible. Just imagine the power involved as all these galaxies leapt into existence at God's command. And yet the Bible describes the creation of all this with the single phrase, He made the stars also. The psalmist writes, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? The earth may seem an insignificant speck compared to all that God created. Yet, this tiny world is where God placed the crowning jewels of his creation. Of all that the Lord created, human beings alone have the privilege of being made in God's own image. And though we have rebelled against our creator, he's paid the penalty for our treason. It was on this small planet where the creator of the universe became a man and died our death. He then rose again and has offered forgiveness for all who call upon his name. It is fitting that we should honor God for who he is and for what he has done. What is man? Who are we? Not even a speck of a speck under a speck under a rock of a speck. speck. And yet... I have the privilege through Jesus Christ to speak with that God, to interact with that God, the creator of the universe, as big as he is, who, by the way, at the same time, just didn't create that, and he's above and beyond that, but he's interspersed. There's no place you can hide with that, and he upholds and sustains the whole thing. Do you still think your problems are too big for him? And at the same time, he doesn't just provide an intimate relationship with him through Jesus Christ. The scripture says he is so intimate, he even knows every single hair on my head. Now I realize that granted for some of us that's a bigger feat than others, but I'm not going to go there. You're missing the point. Okay. And to think that he died for me. And that he loves me. He even says in the scripture, I want to spend time with you. Me. Me. I'm not going to go into the wife-husband crack yet. Okay, but God wants to spend time with me. After all I've done, me? He says, cast all your cares upon me. I want to talk with you. I love you because he cares for me. Me. Can I tell you something? It's you too. I hope we never, ever 
say this phrase so flippantly, Christian. Oh, I have a relationship with Jesus, not a religion. Really? Have you forgotten his independence? Have you forgotten how immense he is? Have you forgotten that he chose to have this relationship with us after all we've done? Isn't that mind-blowing? Now, here's my point. That's just a setup, and I only have time to go into how this is going to change your walk with Jesus, this truth. I only got time for one. Because I'm convinced that when you really get this, because we're, we're experts at Christians, right? Oh, we know the right answer on the test. <laughs> but we don't always live it, do we? Right? And I'm convinced if you really appreciate this attribute of God, that he is intimate, that he is personal, that we have a relationship with him, it's going to change some things, and it's never going to be the same again. And the first thing it's going to change, I guarantee you, it's going to change how you pray. You cannot pray what I'm about to show you if you really understand the depths of this truth, okay? And the first way we are not going to pray, if we understand God's intimacy, is with what I call a repetition of pretty phrases, right? Now, to help illustrate this uh, foolishness and doing this in our personal relationship with God, we're going to look at it through the eyes of another personal relationship, uh, hopefully, uh, a marriage, okay? And uh, to do that, I need my... Uh, faithful sidekick, uh, trusty wife, uh, Brandy, uh, partner in crime. Come on up here. She's going to help me out here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to communicate to Brandy using a repetition of pretty phrases, and you tell me how well this goes. How, how would this affect our relationship, right? And so I, I literally come home, and I'm not kidding you. What if, th- what if this was the only mode that I spoke to my wife? Every single time I saw her. So I come home. Hey, honey, I'm home. Except, I, oh, excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> Got to start the show. Oh, Brandeth, I loveth thine valueth. Thou oughtest thine coolest wifeth I could ever haveth. Now, that's a little too Shakespearean. Let's go for a little bit more liturgical. Hail, Brandy, full of grace. <laughs> Wife of Billy, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among wise. And then I went about my business. What would she do? and close the door, right? We wouldn't have a relationship, okay? And, and why? Because it's goofy. I mean, who talks to anybody that way, let alone your intimate marriage, your wife, your, your spouse, right? Okay, but here's my point. How goofy is it then that we do that with God? How many times have you seen people, oh, Lord, thy, thou, thee, thy, thine, 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 thine. Hey, if you walk off the stage and that's how you speak, if you're really from Britain and you've memorized all of Shakespeare's plays, I'll let you do it. But you don't. So why do we turn on this spigot and blah, blah, blah? <laughs> what? Or it's just rituals. Up and down, sit this, turn this. And then we're spiritual, right? And then the non-Christian who watches us, who doesn't know how to pray, they look at it. I guess that's how you do it. And they start doing it too. Oh, Lord, I need I. And then the world looks at us and we're like, well, what? It's just Christianity is just another religion. I wonder why. Okay, that's, just, that's what we do with God. Okay, the second way we're not going to pray to God is what I call a marathon of words. Okay, a marathon of words. Okay, once again, what if I were to come home, and this is truly the only form of communication that I would ever speak uh, to my wife. So I come here and I come home, and for those of you who know me, this is really hard to do. <clears throat> Hi, Brandon. I'm glad to be home. It's great to see you. I just want to let you know you're the most incredible woman in the world. I can never think of a day without you. Oh, by the way, what's your number? Crispy cow. Okay, that's it. And I went about my business. Okay, I ain't got time for you. I did. I punched in my time. I did my deed. I said what I had to say. Okay, now move on to what I got to do. Anybody know where I'm going with this? How many times do we do that with God? 
right? Oh, oh yeah, I gotta pray, I gotta pray. The preachers, he's talking on prayer. I gotta pray now. I got me on this one. Okay, okay. <laughs> Not me. God's the one who's omnipresent. So what do we do? We just punch in our spiritual time clock. We just get it over fast. Okay, just, amen. Okay, let's go. I gotta get to work. I gotta do this. I gotta do this. I gotta. Do how would that help my relationship with my wife? What would that tell my wife? I says, listen, you're not important enough to me to take quality time, to have a normal, heartfelt conversation. Then why are we doing that to God? Have we forgotten that we have a relationship with God? He's right here with us. Have we forgotten that? Okay. The third way we were not going to do this one, this one blew me away when I first became a Christian. It's like, what in the world is that? Because you guys know my testimony, I says I wasn't raised in the church. And so I, when I entered, I called church world. And when I first got saved, it was just me and Jesus and the Bible. That's it. The Bible says that's what you do, right? And I'm all alone. I started going to church services, figuring that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. I started reading the Bible. That's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. I couldn't explain it. I didn't know any of these theological terms, but all I knew is I had a relationship with God, the creator of the universe. This is cool. And I started talking to him. I talked to him anytime I could. This is, woo, this is awesome. And then I went into church world. And I saw the fantastic formula. That's right. What if I only spoke to my wife this way? Okay, uh, here we go. So I just I make, it, make it home. Here we are, right? And uh, no spontaneity. That's right. Get the job done, right? Do my little duty. I'm a great husband, communicator, effective. Right? So, hey, honey, I'm home. I say, hey, oh, sorry. Step one. Oh, Brandy. I adore you. You are the greatest wife in the world. Uh, that's enough. Uh, step two. Um, Brandy, uh, I confess that I'm an unworthy husband, and, and how you could love me is beyond my comprehension. And, and uh, step three. Oh, hey, Brandy, I, I, I thank you for all that you've done, for being the best wife ever. And right, let's get to the good part. Step four. Uh, oh, Brandy, hey, I, I humbly ask, would you please provide a morsel of cow for me and, and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from chicken? And all right, I'm done. What if I really communicate? And th I'm serious. Th the only way I ever communicate to my wife, every single time I saw her, I had to whip out a piece of paper. I had to memorize step by step. I've got to go in this order. There's no spontaneity. There's no heart. It becomes completely profound. How would that affect our relationship? Don't we have a relationship with God? Then why are we doing the same thing to him? As if he doesn't know. He's right there. When did he ever leave? Oh, by the way, when do we ever enter his presence? I thought he was omnipresent. Watch our verbiage, Christian. We, we even speak as if he's not there. That's the practical atheism. One more to go, and this is what I call, the fourth way we're not going to pray, if we really get this aspect, is what I call a shot in the dark. <laughs> this is crazy. So, okay, so, so what if I were to pray, uh, or to, to communicate to Brandy, came home, and this is literally, she's right there in front of me, man. Right there, I said, hey, home. And then this is what starts coming to my mouth. Oh, Brandy, if only, if only I could be with you. I, I, if only we were here, I miss you. I want to be near to you. I, I hope you hear these cries of mine, and please come near me. If only I could feel your presence again. And she's right there. All right, give it up for the wife. She did her job there. She did a little jitty there. Made on camera. I mean, how could we? I mean, she's right there. And then what's coming out of my mouth? At least it seemed a little bit more heartfelt. But what am I missing? Hello. She's right 
there? Why do you keep acting like she's on planet Mars or out in the backyard and she can't, she's right. Have you ever listened to how we pray? We pray with a mindset that God is in the third heaven and he's afar off. Or how many times you hear, well, I hope my prayer makes it past the ceiling. God's right here. He never left you. That's the beauty of this thing. Don't you realize, as Paul said, Christian, that you are the temple of God and that God's spirit lives in you? When did he leave you? That's the benefit of being a Christian. He will never leave you, which means our salvation is secure. The scripture says the Holy Spirit is his deposit, his guarantee of our salvation. In the Greek, it's arabone. It's his engagement ring. He is not going to renege on his promise. He's not just taking us to heaven, but he never leaves you. That's what we have. And if you get that, if you get that, how can you pray as if God's not around? How do you enter his presence when he's been there the whole time? Why would you say, God, come near me when he's right there? Do you see what I'm talking about? Oh, we say, oh yeah, I got a relationship. Oh, yeah, I believe that. How's your prayer life? You might think, well, come on, Pastor Billy. Something as basic, knowing that God is personally intimate. Does it really help, not just us, does it really help our world? Does it really help alleviate the pain and the suffering that they're going through when they see us demonstrate this? Yes, it does. You tell me a paying attention to your immediate surroundings can sometimes not only have a life and death effect. This is a true story. This is wild. The Amazon River is the largest river in the world. Listen to this. The mouth of it is 90 miles across. The mouth of it. Okay, in fact, so much water, fresh water, comes from the Amazon that its currents of fresh water can be detected 200 miles out into the Atlantic Ocean. It forces the fresh water that far out in the salt water in the Atlantic. And what's ironic is that in ancient times, many sailors would get caught up in the windless waters of uh, the South Atlantic, and they would sit there and drift helplessly, and then they would start dying of thirst. But sometimes, true story, other ships from South America who knew the area well would come alongside these ships, and these guys are dying of thirst, and they would say, hey, what's your problem? And the other ships new to the area would exclaim, can you spare us some water? Our sailors are dying of thirst. Listen, from the other ship would come the cry, just lower your buckets. You're in the mouth of the mighty Amazon River. You're completely surrounded by fresh water. And they would sit there and die of thirst true story. Isn't that wild? And I'm telling you folks, what I've learned, it's not any more ironic than Christians today. I watch this happen all the time. They're dying of thirst spiritually. They're becoming dry, crusty, rusty Christians. There's no freshness. And they act like God's the only one. He doesn't hear anything. Would you just drop your buckets of prayer to him? He's the fountain of living water. Just spend time with him in intimacy right there He's already there, completely surrounding you. Drop your bucket of prayer to him and fill up and have a great day. We do the same thing spiritually. We're all dry. You're in the mouth of the mighty Amazon. You're in the presence of almighty God and he's never left you. You're his temple now. Fill her up. Right? When we get saved, Christian... God is not afar off in some ivory castle. He is with us wherever we go. He is personal. He is intimate. And this is the privilege. This is the awesome message that we get to declare to the nations. God doesn't just exist. We saw that last week. But through Jesus Christ, people really can have an intimate, personal relationship with who? The creator of the universe, as big as he is. And yet so intimate, he knows every hair on your head. 
even though we were ungodly sinners and wanted nothing to do with them. But if the world's going to believe our message, we need to demonstrate that truth. We need to show with our lips and our lives that we believe that God is intimate. And it will show in your prayers. When was the last time, we've seen this before, but when was the last time that you prayed like these little children? Might be a little bit vocal, but get the point. When was the last time you threw the script away? When was the last time you just took the time and just didn't get it over with? When was the last time you prayed with this level of intimacy? We'll close in prayer after this.
Oh, that we become little children again. Remember when we used to pray like that when we first got saved? What happened? Ends on the revival passage. I thought maybe that's why revival's not coming. Maybe it's not because of a lack of prayer. Maybe it's a lack of personal, heartfelt prayer that God is waiting to hear. Oh, that we would become little children again. Not just for us. But our world is watching us. They need to see with our lips and our lives that we believe and appreciate that we have a relationship with God through Jesus, not a religion. Christianity is not another religion. It's an intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe. Let's show them the difference. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal, okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars, okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain, Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin 
to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good 
unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask Him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in His work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.